The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Um, if you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be going in a number of different texts today. The best thing, honestly, the best thing you can do to, is follow along in you version. Um, the, uh, if you looked for the event about 25 minutes ago, it was not in the system, and it is now. Um, we had a couple tech things go on this morning, so it is in there now. You can follow along in you version in the event for today, but you can also follow along in your Bibles. I love hearing like the page turn noise. That's one of my favorite noises um, in the entire world. So today we're talking about Pentecost. We're talking about the arrival of the Holy Spirit 50 days um, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We spent a lot of time talking about Acts chapter 2 last year at Pentecost. And then it's funny, as soon as I was done with that message last year, I thought to myself, next year when we, when we teach on Pentecost, we're going to teach about the role of the Holy Spirit um, in the life of the Christian. And what I did last year on May 21st is I actually um, wrote down pretty much the entire outline for this sermon um, last year, which really came in helpful and handy this week. Um, we had a funeral this week. I had a wedding yesterday. Um, and as I was uh, just working on this message throughout, I looked in my past notes and I found the sermon that I wrote a year ago for this. So it just was perfect. I love the way God works um, in the midst of that. So if you're, if you're looking for a message on Acts chapter 2, that's last year's sermon. Um, so go back and listen to that. What I want to talk about today is the life or the role of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Um, Jesus had lots of post-resurrection conversations. Here's what I mean by that. After Jesus was resurrected and he spent time with his disciples, they had last, lots of post-resurrection conversations. One of those conversations is detailed for us here in Acts chapter 1, and it's verses 4 and 5. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. So, kind of like we pause there, right? When did Jesus talk about this gift before? Well, that's John 14 to 16, which is what we're going to spend a lot of our time talking about today. Okay, so I've, I've told you that the Father is going to send you a gift. John baptized with water, but just in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the disciples don't understand, and we know this, if we keep reading. This is verse 6. So when the disciples were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? So we need to remember here the, the understanding of what the disciples thought Jesus was going to do when he was on the earth doing his ministry is they thought he was going to be a strong military leader who was going to restore Israel to their rightful place among the nations. That's their, that's their mindset. And you would think after telling them that I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be turned over, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be resurrected. You would think that they would think something differently at this point, but they're still wrapped up in this mindset of Jesus as military leader. So they're wondering when he is going to make them great again. And here's how he replied. This is verse 7. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
And you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the world, ends of the earth. So this is a constant theme throughout the Bible, right? People constantly want things from God. Okay, let that settle in your brain for a second. Throughout the Bible, people constantly want things from God. We talked about this the other day. The people who were following Jesus around for three years, they wanted to be healed. They wanted food. They wanted demons cast out from them. They, they wanted things from God. And the entire Bible is no different than that. But here's the thing. God wants to do, um, God wants to do something with them. See, God wants to be in a relationship with them. The people want something from God. And what God wants is a relationship with them. He has a mission, he has a purpose for them that flows out of this relationship. And we see this, again, throughout the entire Bible. God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, he gives them a role, right? You're going to, you're going to tend the garden, you're going to bring order to the chaos. For some of you in your gardening, your garden is probably starting to look a little chaotic at this point, right? You're starting to see little weeds pop up, things you have to constantly go and attack, or they're just going to overrun your entire garden. So their, their role is to rule and reign in the garden, and God is with them. In Genesis 3, it says that God walked in the cool of the day with them. God was with them. God wanted to be with them. The purpose of the tabernacle and then of the temple was for God to dwell among his people, right? So, so they weren't just to come to a place where they were going to worship, although that's what they did. They did certain things. They made sacrifices and they brought offerings and they did all these things. But the point of that wasn't those things. It was for them to be in relationship with him and for him to be in relationship with them. And then as a nation, their job was to be a shining city on a hill among all of the other nations. And not so all of the other nations could look at Israel and say, oh, what a, what a wonderful place they are. I wish I had the wealth that they had, or I wish I had this that they had, or I wish that they had that that they had. But the nations were to look at Israel and say, I want to be in a relationship with God like that. This is what I want. See, God has something for them in its relationship. And this is why Jesus came. One of the names that we call Jesus is Emmanuel. And that literally means God with us. See, God wants to be with his people. God wants to be with his people. And through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he was. So this is what Hebrews 1.3 says. Hebrews 1.3 describes Jesus this way. The radiation of God's own glory and Jesus expressed the very character of God. So if we were to read all of John 14 and all of John 15 and all of John 16 today, which we're not doing, one of the things we would see is, is, is the people, when Jesus tells them he's going to go, and, and we'll kind of hit this, when Jesus tells them he's going to go, um, and I'm going to show you the Father, and like, where are you going? Um, Jesus, show us the Father, and he says, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, Jesus is the exact representation of God. If we want to know what God is like, all we have to do, this is the easiest thing in the entire world. And there's nothing easy about it, right? All we have to do is read the Gospels. If we want to know about God, we read the Gospels and we learn about Jesus. 
But Jesus is going to leave them, and this is the setup for John 14, 15, and 16. Jesus is going to leave his people. And in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus tells them, he's, I'm not just going out of town. I'm not just going on vacation. I'm not just going away for a little while. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be resurrected, which means I'm going to come back, but then I'm going to ascend. Right? This is not a natural death. Jesus is on a mission. So here we are in Acts. In Acts chapter 1, and all the disciples care about is, are you going to make our nation great again? We ought to so pause on that and reflect. As we think about our own interactions and our own relationship with God. God, are you going to make our nation great again? That's their concern, but Jesus tells them what he's told them before. The Father has a gift for you. Well, if I said I had a gift for you, you would be filled naturally with lots of questions. What is the gift? What's the nature of the gift? What is it for? What am I going to get out of this gift? Parents, have your kids ever asked you a question like that? Right, what's the nature of this gift? So let's go back to John chapter 14. And we'll read some scripture from there. So while you're flipping, one of my favorite things about our, our small group is how much and how often they help me write sermons. That has been a constant thread over the last probably 15 years of my life is in small group, I, I, write, um, I write sermons. And a few months ago, over the last few months, we've been reading this book called Gentle and Lowly. We gave it out at Christmas time. Um, and chapter 9 is called An Advocate. And even though it's talking about Jesus, that book, that chapter is talking about Jesus, we ended up talking about the Holy Spirit. And as we were talking, I very quickly drew this, um, drew this picture that should be on the screen here um, in a second. I have the original here that, um, that you can't see. And we good? Awesome. There it is. On the left-hand side, it says salvation. On the right-hand side, it says glorification. So let me explain those two words. If, you, if you're not into Christianese, if you don't speak Christian, um, salvation is what happens when we enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ. Another biblical word for it is justification. So I get saved, and then over on the far right side is glorification, and that's what happens when I die and I go to be with Jesus. Right? So there's salvation and glorification. And this is, how, this is how many of us live life in that middle space. We try not to screw up our salvation. Right? This is what we think we have to do. We get saved. We're justified. And then we're going to die and go to heaven at some point. And what we have convinced ourselves is, if I can just live from, from between these two points and not screw up my salvation... Then, then I'm in. Well, the interesting thing about that is we have, this, we have this gift where we're not doing that middle part in any way, shape, or form on our own. See, we've been given this gift. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, I love our Bible reading plans because someone wrote this just this morning. Some of us think of the Holy Spirit as a helicopter parent, always watching, almost waiting for us to mess up, 
Does anyone have that mindset of the Holy Spirit? The thing that I wrote at the bottom of my little note is, the Holy Spirit is not the tattletale little brother meant to watch you. Right? See, these are, these are faulty understandings of what the role of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. We think we're going to be saved, and if I want to go to heaven, I have to be a good boy or a good girl for the rest of my life. I think between salvation and me going to heaven, the Holy Spirit is watching over me, waiting for me to screw up, right? The tattletale little brother who's going to run to Father God and tell him how bad I am. But that's not, that's not reality. Let's read John chapter 14, verses 15 to 18. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus talking, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So verse 16 talks about this other, another advocate that God is going to give. So Jesus is going to die. So remember the context of all of this. Jesus is going away and he's sending, the father is sending someone else. The father is sending another advocate. So we ought to ask, okay, so what does that, what does that mean? So let's talk about that word um, another first. And for that, I have three pens up here. So there are two Greek words. I heard this great example the other day. There are two Greek words, heteros and alos. Heteros and alos. Here's what heteros means, another of a different kind. Then the second word is alos, and that means another of the same kind. So I have three pens here. These two pens are black ink pens. This one is blue ink. Of course, you can't see it, but the only reason I can tell that is there's a little blue color on the end of this ink. So let's say I was using a black pen. I love these pens. The first one I found of this was at church. I had it for about 14 months. And then I went out and bought 20 more of them, and I've lost half of those. So I have this pen. And if I were to say to Anne, hey, can you bring me another pen? And she brought me the one with the blue tip. See, that would, be, that would be a heteros pen. It looks the same, but it's not the same. What I would want, because I'm very specific about my pens in case you can't tell, what I would want is an alos pen. I want to continue writing in the same, in the same ink, in the same color that I'm writing in. And the Greek word here that Jesus uses, that John records Jesus using, is alos. He's going to bring another advocate of the same kind. Of the same kind. See, sometimes we think this, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is this force. This ethereal other thing that we really don't understand. But when Jesus uses this word alos, what he's communicating is Another advocate is coming who's going to be just like me, who's going to be a person. So one of the things when we, when we read the Bible and we want to understand what the role of the Holy Spirit is, we have to understand the Spirit's not a force, it's a person. It's a being. Okay? 
not a force, it's a person. It's another of the same kind of Jesus. And it has a role. Did you see that here? It says this, this is verse 17. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. So the Spirit leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because it's not looking for him and doesn't recognize him. See, people who don't have the Spirit, they don't know that they don't have the Spirit. People who don't have God's Spirit living inside of them, they don't know that they don't have the Spirit. Because why would they? They're, they're not looking for the Spirit. And what's more, they don't know that they need the Spirit. So, so while we're kind of taking this 10,000 foot level view of all of the things that are going on in our culture and our society and all of the chaos that we see week in and week out and week in and week out and we wonder like, how come people aren't good? Why don't they make better decisions? Blah, 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 all of those kinds of things. See, these are people who are living and functioning without the spirit. And if the spirit appeared to them, they would have no idea who it was. No recognition. This is why people experience God's grace and completely ignore it. So maybe you've wondered, like, seeing all of the things, you have, you have friends who don't know Christ, and, and they see the same kinds of things that you do, Right? Like, how, how can one person recognize rain as a gift from God and another person give you some sort of meteorological explanation of the rain? Now, it's meteorology. But see, those are two very different things. People who don't have the Spirit can't get, recognize God's grace. They don't know what they don't know, and they don't know who they don't know. And beyond that, they don't know the actual truth of their situation because only the Spirit of God can lead people into all truth. See, this is a diagnosis of our culture. As we're trying to figure out in our culture, more importantly, our culture tries to figure out what's wrong with everything. Well, people who don't have the Spirit can't know the truth. This is verse 26, also John 14. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative... That is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. So as we're, we're trying to wonder, like, what, what's the Holy Spirit? What's the role of the Spirit in the life of the Christian? Well, the Spirit is a teacher. That's probably the easiest thing in all of the things that the Holy Spirit does. Is the Spirit is an instructor. So if we are wanting things, if we are wanting to learn certain things about how God functions, one way we might do that is we might call upon the Holy Spirit to teach us. Spirit, teach me. And here's the second thing. It says he's a reminder. And the Greek word there means to remind quietly, to suggest to your own memory. I love that so much. When it says that the Holy Spirit is reminding them, the disciples, of everything Jesus taught them, he's doing it quietly. He's, he's calling their, their memory, right? He's calling their recall. And as I was thinking about that text, um, I thought of 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. This is where Elijah 
is fleeing from King Ahab. And he flees to Mount Sinai. And this is verse, verses 9 through 13. Then he, Elijah, came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So Elijah here is pouting before God. I'm the only one who listens to you, God. I'm the only one who follows you, God. God responds this way, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. I love this next part. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak, went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. See, God's spirit comes so quietly and comes so gently. And I have to wonder if the reason we cannot hear the spirit of God speak to us is because we're not listening. It's because we are so overwhelmed and overcome by noise. There are so many other things that we listen to, that we pay attention to. And do you notice how all that stuff is loud and flashy, vying for your attention? When you watch one movie in a certain series, the, the immediate question is, what is the next movie going to do to outdo that one? Have you noticed that? Every single thing that you, that you watch on TV or movie that you watch, like how big are the special effects going to be in this movie to, to supersede the previous one? And honestly, like this has nothing to do with my sermon. That's why I love Top Gun Maverick so much. It was just people flying planes. Like how underwhelming. Well, you should watch it. But see, we are so used to big, flashy things, powerful things. And that's just not the way the Spirit works. So if you're wondering maybe what, maybe what you're missing from God, from the Holy Spirit, what I would suggest you do is... Turn all of those other things off. Go find a quiet place. And listen for God to speak to you. So the Holy Spirit's a person, he's a teacher, and he is a reminder. Let's look at John chapter 16. Verses 5 through 15. Again, Jesus is leaving. 
He's going to tell them again. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. Now, if you've been wanting me to explain that, that's coming. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes... This is so key. He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. You know why they can't bear it? Because they don't out yet have the spirit. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. We've heard that. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So this word advocate, that's how the New Living Translation renders that Greek word it's advocate. It means comforter or encourager. Um, one who is called in for support, help, or consoler. It's actually a legal term, and it's one who speaks in a person's defense and provides legal counsel. So when I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit, when I'm thinking about what, what I get from the Holy Spirit, is I have, I have someone who is going before God, speaking to God on my behalf. Now, for those of you that know your Bible, that sounds like a lot like Jesus as intercessor from the book of Hebrews. Well, seeing as how the Holy Spirit is another, is a, is this, is another, is another of the same kind of Jesus, it's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. So the Holy Spirit's not tattletale little brother telling on you to God what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's going to God and he's saying, he's sort of telling on you. But he's saying, but this is all taken care of. Like we cleaned, we cleaned up the mess. Jesus cleaned up the mess. So the advocate, and according to these verses, he does a couple things. He convicts the world of its sin. What's the great sin of the world? If we took time and you wrote something down, we probably have a hundred different responses about what is the sin of the world. Well, one of the things I love about the Bible is it tells us. Its sin is that the world refuses to believe in Christ. If we were to, if we were to evaluate all of the things that are, that are wrong in our culture, that are wrong in our society, that are wrong around the world, if we were to, and, and, and sift it, right, get a big sifter with a screen on the inside and shake it and let all of the things, all of the small things fall through the sifter. Ultimately, there would be, there'd be one stone in that sifter. It would be that the world refuses to acknowledge Christ. That's the problem. That's an unpopular diagnosis, in case you haven't been able to tell. Because what we want to do is blame every other thing. Have you noticed that? 
doesn't mean we shouldn't make sensible decisions. Doesn't mean we shouldn't make wise choices. Doesn't mean we shouldn't do certain things. But see, at the end of the day, the only rock that's in that sifter is that Jesus is not who he says he is. That's the problem with the world. That's the ultimate issue. So what does that mean to convict? It's also a legal term. It exposes like that sifter. Shake that thing hard enough, you're going to have one rock. And that's the only thing that's going to be in there. And it's going to be exposed. And what Jesus is saying here, apart from the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, people will never recognize themselves as sinners. Never. They will never recognize themselves as sinners without the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. They'll come, they'll be, I messed up, I made a mistake. If only I'd been more educated. If only as a culture we, we moved more towards science. Like whatever that thing is, see, apart from the convicting work of the Spirit, we'll never recognize that we're sinners. So this is, this is a measurement because at some point we're going to start to shift gears and maybe some of you have mentally already begun to do that. Like, well, how, like how do I know if I have the spirit living inside of me? Um, do you recognize that you are a sinner? And if your answer is no, like regardless, regardless of what choice or decision you've made in your life, no matter how many times you've gone to church, whether you are baptized at a church camp or whether you have a hundred verses memorized. See, if you don't recognize your sin, if you don't recognize your need for God, you do not have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. And that has a pretty big implication. In fact, it's the biggest of implications. It means you're not a follower of Christ. So the Holy Spirit exposes this. This is the ultimate sin. And we try to think about that the ultimate sin is to not believe in Jesus as God and man. It's to not believe that Jesus has been crucified. It's to not believe that Jesus has been rec- resurrected. And what we're doing is we are accusing God then of being a liar. You see how this goes? See how this is working? Here's the second role. To convict the world of God's righteousness. To convict the world of God's righteousness. Here's what that means. The only thing that righteousness is found in, is in God. You, on your own, without the power of the Holy Spirit, will never be righteous. And I know that you are far more righteous than the person who works in the accounting department at your company. I know that you are far more righteous than your neighbor. I know that you are far more righteous than Adolf Hitler. But you're not far more righteous than God. In fact, you're not righteous. And what Jesus is saying here is that righteousness is only found in God. If your plan is to wait until the end of your life and make it to heaven and like roll the dice... And, and see what, what the scales are going to look like 
I can tell you what that's going to look like today. Over here is your sin, over here is your righteousness, and it's going to do this. No matter how many righteous things you have done, no matter how many sinful things you haven't done. See, the only way we're righteous is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this right relationship with God is only available through Jesus Christ. This sermon feels really heavy to me. We all think the Holy Spirit is going to be like Holy Spirit fairy dust on us, right? And I'm going to be able to speak in some tongue or I'm going to be able to do some extra thing. And certainly, you know, those things, we can read about them. We're going to dig deep into them in Romans in the fall. We're going to talk about those things. But the Holy Spirit has a job and that's, that's to convict the world of its sin and to convict the world of, its, of righteousness. So that when we recognize that we have a sin problem, like we got to figure out how we're going to get out of it. Anyone ever been there in your life? What am I going to do? I'm such a sinner. What am I going to do? Well, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. And here's the third thing. According to this, convict the world of coming judgment. This is like the best news, I think, in the entire world. The ruler of this world, his name is Satan. He's already been judged. It's not just a defeat. But Satan's already been judged. As I was pondering this, over the past week, I, I love, so I love history. And there was this little thing after World War II. I only read about it. Some of you might remember it. There was this little thing called the Nuremberg Trials. Right? So it wasn't just that, it wasn't just that Germany was defeated at the end of World War II. There was a group of people, and this also happened in Japan. There were also war crime trials in Japan. There was a group of people, kind of the architects of the Third Reich of Germany, who were actually held accountable for, for the bad things that they had been done, that they had done. Those are called the Nuremberg trials. See, they were brought to judgment. It wasn't just that the war was ended and kind of everybody just goes back to life. There were lots of Nazis that tried to do that. Like fascinating history, the way they were, hunt, they were hunted down and brought to justice. See, just because Jesus has died on the cross and has been resurrected and has ascended to heaven, like it's not just business as usual. Well, Jesus did that thing. No, see, there's judgment. Satan has been judged. It's over. God won. God's already won. God's not waiting to win. He's already won. And see, we, we talked a lot about this in Revelation. And this, this era, it may not feel like it. It may not feel like it. This is one of my favorite parts of the way God works. It's just because it doesn't feel like he's won doesn't mean he hasn't. Because every once in a while, every once in a while, don't we get a little hint of that win? When your kids sing VBS songs a year later, you should know, like, we might, oh, that's just, that's not a big thing. Well, I don't know, that's a kid who's 
burying scripture in his mind and in his heart. See, that's a win. What that says is Satan's kingdom has lost. And you know what, Satan? You might have a lot of uh, you might have a lot of feigned power and a lot of feigned control over things, but you know what? There's a kid who's driving between two kids, actually, who are driving between Gearing and Scott's Bluff five days a week, and you know what they're doing? They're singing VBS songs, dude. So take your win, if you call it that, but there's something more happening. I love it when he says, I have more to tell you, but you're not ready for it. Again, you're not able to do more without the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, disciples, Christians, you're going to be ready for more of that. And then it continues, when the, whole, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That doesn't mean the truth about everything. That doesn't mean the truth of what kind of soda is best. It's Mexican Coke. That's what soda is best. That is not the truth that God is going to lead us into through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's truth about God. See, we can know the truth about God. Isn't that good news? That we can know the truth about God? He will tell you, the Holy Spirit will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring Jesus glory by telling whatever he receives from Jesus because they're one. So the Holy Spirit is only going to share what he's heard from Jesus. Because the work of redemption centers around Jesus Christ. That's what we've been talking about today. I'm a sinner. You are a sinner. Redeemed sinner. Saved sinner. Living in that space. Holy Spirit living inside of us. Jesus living inside of us. That's God's plan. So Acts 2, as I said earlier, takes place 50 days later as the church met for the festival of Pentecost. The Spirit descends, but the Spirit or the presence of the Holy Spirit wasn't just for them. It's for everyone. This is Acts 2.39. It's for all who have been called by the Lord our God. Again, this is really good news. That means the presence of the Holy Spirit is for all who have been called by the Lord our God. They did not get more of the Spirit on Pentecost than we have access to. They didn't. I know it might, like, we might read that and think, well, a little tongue of fire, I mean, that'd be pretty cool. They did not get more of the Spirit. We have access to the same Spirit. This is Ephesians 1, 14. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. The translation that I grew up with read this way. It said, the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We've lived in Iowa a lot of our married years. And one of the things that I remember about living in Iowa, when we would buy pop, when we would buy bottled soda, or a can soda. We had to pay a nickel extra per can or bottle. See, what that was is that was a deposit. And then what we would do, well, sometimes, 
what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to take those cans and bottles back somewhere to be recycled, and then guess what happens? You get your nickel back. Woo, a nickel. That's probably worth a tenth of a penny at this point. You get your nickel back. And as I think about a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, that's what I think about the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. So if I'm wondering, right, and I'm wondering, am I a Christian? Well, do I have the Holy Spirit inside of me? And if I have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me, then the answer is yes. Because there's a deposit. I've already paid that deposit. The deposit's been paid. And when I die and when you die as a Christian, we're, we're, we're all going back to the recycling center. This is a terrible metaphor. I don't mean that we're going to be recycled on earth. We all go back to the recycling center and guess what? We're, we're returned. Because God's already paid for it with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Ephesians 4.30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. So right there we can see that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a power. The Holy Spirit's a person, not a force. Because if it was a force, it wouldn't be offended when you sin. A person is offended when we sin. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. I wrote my notes. That's not just a guarantee. It's a guarantee. Right? This is a guarantee. When the Holy Spirit lives in us, it's a guarantee that we are followers of Christ. So here's my last question. Here's my last verses I'm going to read for the day. And then you ought to ask yourself some questions. How can we know if the Spirit is present in our lives? How can we know? Can we know? This is Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 26. So I say, let your Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You can see where Paul's going to go with this. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So as I'm thinking about this question, how can I know if the Spirit is alive and active in my life? I'm starting to get some clues here. Those two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. If you've ever wondered why, as a Christian, you struggle with sin. Anyone ever wondered why, as a Christian, I still struggle with sin? Here it is. Because these two natures are inside of us. They're warring. They're constantly fighting. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation to, to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful desires, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, 
Selfish ambition, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands when I hit yours. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what we're seeing here is this is the sinful nature. This is an opportunity for us to reflect on what's happening in our own lives. And ask some questions about whether or not I have the spirit. Well, then we, for me, it's a page flip. Some of you will probably know this next part by verse, by, by heart. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's light leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So the question that we get to ask in this is which life marks or which list marks my life? If you want to know, if you want to know whether or not God's spirit is living and active in your life. God is so gracious that he's, he's given us a set of lists. He's given us a way to test, a means of measurement. And we might ask, which list bears the most fruit in our own lives? Which list are we more like? I want you to notice that the, the sinful things that Paul lists are all actions, and the fruit of the spirit that Paul lists are all character. They're, they're things, they're actions versus being. When you compare your life to these two lists, what does your life reflect? I think this is, this is the heart of everything that we've talked about today. The role of the Holy Spirit. As we read through Jonah last month, what we learned is that Jonah's thoughts, words, and deeds were the fruit of his life. It was the overflow. Becky talked about overflow earlier. So that's the overflow of Jonah's life. So as we're looking at Jonah and we're trying to figure out, like, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Well, look at his fruit. We can do the same thing for ourselves. And this ought to force us to evaluate what's underneath ourselves. Are we self-led or spirit-led? And this fruit of the spirit isn't something that's just going to happen to us. Have you noticed there's very little in your life that actually just happens to you? Like as I've gotten older and I reflect like, seems like every year I have the same kind of conversation with myself about certain things. Like I've got about, I've got about 10 pounds that I would just like to lose. Well, if you're like me, that 10 pounds didn't accumulate between yesterday and today. Right? It's a period of time. It's going to take time. So if I want to be led by the Spirit, then what I have to do is I have to be led by the Spirit. When the Spirit speaks to me, teaches me, gently reminds me, I have to go where the Spirit leads. 
So you have to, I have to make a choice. I have to submit to the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not going to scream at you. He's not going to shout at you. And maybe we wish he would. How many of us have thought, man, if the Holy, if God would just talk to me the way he talked to any of those people in the Old Testament, I would just be all about it. Did you read Jonah? How many stories have you read in the Old Testament where God has spoken directly to people and they've completely disobeyed him? So we have the spirit who dwells within us. Speaking quietly, instructing us, reminding us. And this is an opportunity that we have every day to follow Jesus. To be more like him. If you are not a follower of Christ, then you don't have the Holy Spirit of God in you. That's what the word says. If you're not a follower of Christ and you're, and you're struggling to try and figure out like all of these things that we've talked about, you don't have the spirit of God in you. You're not going to figure them out. What you're going to do is you're going to come up with an excuse or a reason that, that fits your plausibility structure for how the world works. And the only way you're going to get to the truth is by submitting yourself to Jesus Christ. Now, if you've never done that, like today would be an awesome day. As Joe said, or Cody said, come and speak to a pastor afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about that. And if you do have the spirit of God dwelling inside of you, I have some really great news. All of these things are available to you. All you have to do is listen and obey and love. Let's pray. Father, I am just so thankful for the spirit of God that dwells in me. Because as much of a of a disaster as I tend to make of my own life with the Spirit. I don't have to think too hard about what that would look like without the Spirit. So I'm thankful for your presence in my life. I pray, God, that you would be at work in the lives of believers. I pray that people who aren't believers would hear this And we be provoked to learn more about who you are and the reality of your kingdom. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.